And um, every now and then in the life of a church leader, something happens which makes them feel relieved. And today, I was thinking about going to preach this afternoon at branch, our branch congregation, and chatting to Tib about it. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, I'm sure it'll stick back on. Anyway, I was very... <laughs> It's lovely. I was very relieved as I was thinking about my sermon for this afternoon to, for Tim to tell me, actually, I'm preaching there, not, not you, David. <laughs> so, um, no, I may have broken the stand, but Tim is going to be preaching this afternoon at brunch. So all is well with the world. But um, it's lovely to see you. And I just want to give a little shout out to Moira Bakehouse, who is currently actually in hospital in Southbead. And she's not been able to attend services here for a while. She's been quite, quite poorly. But she, I think, is watching today with her, um, with her um, niece or nephew uh, visiting. So I just want to say, Moira, um, we're thinking of you here at Woody's today. And um, I hope to come and see you soon. Um, the first Sunday in Advent. What an atmospheric time of year, isn't it? And have you been enjoying the frost? I mean, visually... Fantastic. If you live at ADH, ooh, a mixed blessing because our house is, it's like heating in church, frankly. You know, it's, it's massive. We've got this huge drops. We've got single glazed windows and lots of drafts. So it has been chilly. But honestly, I found just the frost uh, um, and the beauty of it has made me feel very Christmassy. Went for a lovely walk yesterday through, uh, through the woods and the sun came out for an hour. Spider's webs were kind of bejeweled with frost and um, and the sun was kind of diffused through, through the trees. It would just look fantastic. And, you know, we're, we're in that season of, of looking forward to Christmas. And, and it's great, isn't it, to, to, to be here this morning. There's a Chris, Chris Dingle here. My grandchildren are here. Oh, I was excited. My oldest grandchild child crawled the full length of the church under the chairs. I was so proud. But uh, as we look forward to... Um, to Christmas, Advent, of course, has a dual looking forward, doesn't it? The very word um, Advent, veni, is from the Latin, which means um, coming, to, to come. And, um, and when we think about the coming of Jesus, we're always invited to think of the first coming and the second coming. Now, there may be some Anglicans in the room today. Are you, if you put your hand up if you're an Anglican, particularly if you're Tony Roke, a vicar, <laughs> there's Tony over there. Um, and, uh, who's, who's Anglican here by, by background? So... Great. What, what a wonderful... We want to thank God for the Anglican Church and the rich legacy it's given to our nation. And I'm actually going to read to you the, uh, the collect for Advent Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent from the Book of Common Prayer. So here we go. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armour of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, now and ever. Amen. How interesting. You know, there's a lot of theology in that collect. The Holy Trinity are there. 
the first coming is there, the second coming, and how we live our lives now are all in that little collect. Because when we think about the coming of Jesus in humility, veiled in flesh, we also think of his coming again in majesty. And in that time that we live, that we're meant to live in the light of his coming. So Advent, there is a first coming and there's a second coming. But there's also the other Advent, the adventure. The adventure of living now in the light of what it means to live in that tension between the ages where Jesus has come, the Spirit is at work in the world. Jesus is still to come and one day the, the, the whole of, um, of, of history as we know it will be fulfilled in, in, the, in the new heavens and the new earth and, and the reign of Jesus perfectly. In that time, we are on an adventure where we're looking for the breaking in of the gospel of the kingdom of the presence of God in our ordinary lives. And we clothe ourselves with that armor to fight the spiritual battles that are very real in this time of tension between the ages. So I just want to unpack a little bit of that, just from that collect, if that's all right, and from the scriptures that go with that. So the Gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular, which tell the story of the nativity, they, um, they love to quote the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which was the Bible of Jesus. And they love to draw to our attention prophecies of Scripture that are being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So if you um, go to the book of Matthew, for instance, and I'll just open my big print Bible as it stop it sliding off the broken lectern. Um, if it does... Anyway, look at that. It's still there. Um, Matthew chapter 1. Oh, gosh. Need two hands. Um, the, the very opening of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, um, is just this extraordinary genealogy. That, that listing of the um, ancestors that are in the line of David, fulfilling this incredible prophecy that is given to David um, and, and that, that he's going to have, um, always going to have a, a son on his throne. And, and Matthew loves to, to take that genealogy. And of course, it's, it's shot through, as we've, we've often reflected, of some of the kind of extraordinary women who are named in that genealogy, who were not the typical women, you know, the women whose reputation wasn't perfect. People like Bathsheba or um, Tamar or Rahab, the prostitute. The, the, the fact that this line of Jesus has these extraordinary women woven into it, the, the whole story of the Old Testament. And then as, as we, we go on, we, we read in, in Matthew, in, in um, chapter 2, the prophecy that Matthew draws out from the book of Micah. But, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. So we, we have these, this, this drawing on of, of Old Testament prophecies. And if you go on, online, you could kind of Google fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament, and you'll find that you might get 44, you might get 360. What you'll find is that throughout the Old Testament, if, if you go and research it, look at the verses in the Bible that, that um, are fulfilled in the life of Jesus. And so you might think, why was it so hard for people to recognize the promised Messiah when he came? And the reality is that though Jesus' first coming was longed for, predicted, it was nevertheless deeply surprising. Deeply surprising. 
I'm not sure that anyone would have been able to recognize the baby born in the manger without special interventions from angels. That's why they came. You know, it, it was not straightforward to recognize Jesus. And of course, Jesus, as he comes and, and lives his life, and is the one, the sign that is spoken against, was a very divisive person because it was very hard for those people who had their own idea of what Messiah looks like, of what kingdom looks like, to see their expectations fulfilled in the one who comes lowly and meek, riding on a donkey, when he comes into Jerusalem. It's very hard to see their expectations because for, for them, their understanding of kingdom and their understanding of power was very um, analogous to the way that all the empires and all the kingdoms so far had worked. It was about military might. It was about victories in battle. It was about driving out your oppressors. And the upside-down kingdom of Jesus was really hard to recognize because it's a kingdom that comes with profound vulnerability. When Jesus begins his ministry and is tempted in the wilderness uh, by the tempter, and is offered the way of power, he rejects that way and chooses a very different way. Jesus chooses the way of the cross. This is how the kingdom is going to come. It's going to come in humility. It's going to come in vulnerability. It's going to come in somebody who, as we reflect on the, on the, on the Beatitudes, someone who is poor in spirit, who relies on the Holy Spirit to see his, his, his ministry fulfilled. Jesus, who relies on his Father to raise him from the dead, and willingly goes to the cross to rescue us from the power of sin and death, to rescue us from the powers that we have colluded with, that are those old military, powerful, dominating things. So the first coming of Jesus is deeply surprising. So what about the second coming of Jesus that's also predicted in Scripture? And this time, predicted in the New Testament. What do we know about the second coming of Jesus? I guess what we do know about the second coming of Jesus, does it, it will be surprising. So if the first coming of Jesus was surprising, the way that Jesus comes, the man of his ministry, is a surprise. The second coming of Jesus is predicted by Jesus to be a surprise. Let's look at Matthew, the gospel further on in Matthew chapter 24. No one knows about that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be taken in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, 
because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. That's just one of the passages of Scripture which talk about the surprise of the coming of Jesus. Jesus talks about coming like a thief in the night. And in the book of Revelation, actually, he says, actually, I'm coming soon, but I'm coming like a thief in the night. And it's that, that if we're going to know anything about the second coming of Jesus, it will be surprising. The passage I've just read says, life is just going on like normal. People are doing the normal things. And suddenly, like a thief in the night, there is Jesus. So, I guess... Jesus wants us to live in a place of constant readiness, doesn't he? Now, how many people here are teachers? Good. We love you. We respect you very much. And, uh, and you love and respect Ofsted very much, don't you? You know, is, is Ofsted a bit like the second coming of Jesus? <laughs> Do you know it's going to come? And so you spruce yourselves up ready. I don't know. I've, I've heard about teachers. This may not be true, but putting displays up because Ofsted are coming. Or, does that happen in schools? You know, I, I don't know whether, you know. You know, basically, there's, there's a lot of pressure with an Ofsted to, to kind of make sure that you look as good as you can. You want to be outstanding, don't you? Congratulations to Cotton School. that had a recent very good Ofsted. But a surprise Ofsted, is that bad news? It does happen, doesn't it? Surprise Ofsteds? Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Is we are not meant to live as if the second coming of Jesus is like an Ofsted, that we're kind of sprucing ourselves up just in advance. The days are getting nearer, so we better start living a bit more holy lives. The whole thrust of the, the message of Jesus is, this is an ongoing life of readiness and preparedness. We don't live um, just in an Advent season. For us, we live Advent 365 days of the year. We live in that sense of preparation. We, we want to live those kind of lifestyles that, uh, the, the kind of lifestyles that we know Jesus would want us to be living. And, and that is such a strong message of the New Testament, actually. That preparedness, that readiness is for all of us all the time. Now, of course, it's wise to, to live in a state of readiness because life is unpredictable. And, and we know that our own mortality is um, unpredictable. And, and we have to live with that sense of, um, you know, am I living in a right relationship with God? But there's something about human beings which lo- loves to live in a kind of state of denial, you know, one day, and, and, and one day I'll get ready. <laughs> one day I'll be ready. But right now I'm just living in that ongoing cycle of life. But we're called to live, actually, right now, as if it could be today. And what is it that the kingdom of heaven that we're being prepared for looks like? Because I think that the, the call on us is to seamlessly enter the new heavens and the new earth, because we're already kingdom people. We're already living those kingdom lifestyles. Now, I don't know whether, whether you ever get to ask this question, but, but right now, one of the questions I'm asked a lot is about what's going on in the world, and are we nearer the second coming than ever before? And particularly people look at the state of Israel and what's going on in Israel and Gaza. I have a lot of people saying, you know, is this God? Should we be kind of praying about what's um, going on? In, because is this God orchestrating what's going on right now? Is this a fulfillment of prophecy? And I, I think for me, one of the things, the concerns I have about that kind of viewpoint, which is out there in the kind of Christian world, is 
Again, it seems to be a profound misunderstanding of the way the kingdom of God works. Do you think that um, the end of the age and the coming of Jesus into the world is going to be ushered in by a military battle or by a kind of um, a nationalistic kind of um, movement that's going to regain territory for the people of Israel through military might? Because that's the way that Jesus himself rejected on his first coming. Jesus has already rejected that strategy. Jesus is already kicking out the Romans by military might. And I'm not sure that his second coming is going to be ushered in by military action. I think the second coming of Jesus is going to be analogous to the first coming. It's going to be a work of the Spirit. And when Jesus came into the world, it was a profound work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who's been a little bit silent, we've had 400 years where there's been no prophecy between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Suddenly we find the Spirit of God is working everywhere. The Spirit of God is, is speaking to Zechariah. There are angelic visions. There's John the Baptist is born who's full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. There, there are kind of all this kind of supernatural activity coming. And of course when Jesus comes on the scene, the Spirit of God now is at work in the world. And resting on Jesus without limit. And, and the new age that Jesus brings into being is, is an age of the Spirit. And for, to my mind, the key sign of the, the, the end of the age is what's the work of the Spirit? Here's some, some kind of pointers that Jesus says about the, the end of the age. Well, first of all, no one knows the day or the hour. Mark 13 says that really clearly. So no one knows the day or the hour. So that's good. So whenever people predicting the day and the hour very precisely, we know that they're wrong. No one knows the day and the hour. That's the first thing we can be certain of. The second thing is, there will be trouble and birth pangs. Matthew 24, I started reading from the end of it, but this is what um, Jesus says. Um, You'll be handed over to be persecuted. Well, I'll, I'll go a bit further back. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. And will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So that's a stuff that's going to happen before the end of the age. And honestly, for the last 2,000 years, there's been warfare and earthquakes and famine and pestilence, and there still are today. And um, there is a challenge for all of us about our love being resilient or our love growing cold. And the New Testament is actually full of people to say, persevere, hold on to your first love. How much more to the church today in our time? Hold on to your first love. That's prediction. But then the, the um, two other predictions, really. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 8, looks at um, the, the end of the world. And it, it speaks about um, the city of God dressed like a bride coming down from heaven. And um, one of the titles of Jesus is the bridegroom. 
And in Revelation 19, there's a song which says, you know, hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. And um, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And we, we know who the bride of Christ is, I hope. If you're not familiar with church, you may not understand that that's one of the titles for the church that we're part of, that we represent today, the bride of Christ. And one thing about the end of the age is that Jesus is coming for a bride who's made herself ready. Something going on there. And maybe the final thing just to say is a prediction that we've already read. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, then the end will come. And I think we have to ask ourselves, is there a link between those two things, between a bride that makes herself ready and a gospel being preached to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come? What does it mean for the church to be ready for Jesus? I think one of the things that um, God is looking for for the people who follow him, is it just a deep love, a love for Jesus. And um, there's a reciprocity between the love that we have for our Lord and the love that he has for us. And the more we're aware of the love that God has for us, the more our love for him should be stimulated. That's one reason why we worship. It's an expression of love. Worship is saying, Lord, we love you. And as we worship you, we feel your love for us. And, and we have those encounters with a restored sense of God is for us. God loves us. I, we, in our 8 o'clock service um, this morning, just downstairs, Sunita Proctor, just for the first time, stood up and gave a little kind of... She spoke actually in Hindi and then interpreted it as a prophetic word. And it was, you know, really basically a word from God saying, I love you. And a calling for us to, to, to love him back. And it was, it was really moving because it came from such a place of vulnerability. But, um, you know, God loves us. Jesus loves us. And he's like the bridegroom. That's one of the titles that Jesus took for himself. The bridegroom. Who's, uh, and and he, he said before he went away, before he went to the cross, as he broke bread, we're going to be breaking bread later on, he said, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine till I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God, in what looks to me like a wedding feast, because that's how history ends in the book of Revelation. The bride has made herself ready, and there's a wedding feast of the Lamb. And it's the uniting of people with their God in a way that we anticipate now, but we haven't fully realized there's more to come. And the very high moments of our lives as, as worshiping people now are all just to give us a little bit of a foretaste of what the future will be. And it's not just about singing songs, but it's about being in the presence of the beloved and knowing a love that's like a fire and like an oil and like a healing and like a, an ecstasy. It's, it's like a love of God that can't be contained in any picture of human language because we will be in the presence of love himself, burning like a furnace and caught up in that love and, and all that's in us responding in that in a full way and our humanity, our ability to love be expanded beyond what a mortal body can cope, can cope with. And, and it's a church that loves Jesus that takes the gospel to the end of the earth. Because first of all, if you don't love Jesus, why bother? Why bother disturbing people and upsetting people and provoking people with this news about a saviour, Jesus Christ, about 
That's someone who's got a heart for the, every nation of the world. If you're, why would you go to a Muslim country or a Hindu country and, and bother them with Jesus? if he wasn't really worth loving and following, and if he wasn't the answer, and you weren't so in love with him that you're willing to go through persecution and trial and difficulty to take the good news of him somewhere. It's going to be a church that really loves Jesus that takes the gospel to the end of the earth. And and an apathetic, half-hearted, lukewarm church just won't bother. It's just too hard work. And, And the motivation isn't there because... We're not convinced it's good news enough. (laughs) But if it's good news enough that the lover of our souls, the one who made the universe in love, wants to have a relationship with us now that continues to eternity, if that is gospel, then that's worth sharing with other people. And I think it is a bride that makes herself ready, that takes the good news to the end of the earth. It's the one that Jesus comes back for. That Jesus looks at his church looks at those men and women who've laid down their lives for him. That's how the book of Revelation is full of those people who've laid down their lives for him, those martyrs. Uh, and he says, Father, let me, let me be with my bride. And she's made herself ready. She's, she's, she's sacrificed herself in all kinds of ways. It's gospel actions as well as gospel words. It's the deeds of the saints, like garments pure and white that they wear, um, the Bible tells us. So, you know, I think that's in Advent, isn't it? So the first coming of Jesus in his humanity. The second coming, he's going to come back as a bridegroom, but it's going to be a surprise. We've got to be ready, watching out for that. And in the middle, we're on an adventure of seeing what Jesus does, of seeing how we can be a gospel people, how we can see his good news break into the world, how we can... Be aware of the the God of surprises who's doing surprising things. And it won't be our way. You know, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, who's a Lord of the Rings fan here? Oh, I mean, who reads the Lord of the Rings more than the Bible? Come on. Some of you, I know you've read Lord of the Rings all the way through. You've never read the Bible all the way through. Come on, admit it. Gotcha. Um, (laughs) But in in Lord of the Rings, um, Tolkien talks about the upside-down kingdom and the way... Frodo, the ring bearer, doesn't choose the way of power. And, and the, the powers of evil, the power of Sauron, cannot understand why someone would not use power to overthrow him. So that's why, what Sauron's worried about. He's worried about the wizards. He's worried about Gandalf or the other wizards getting hold of the ring because they'll be able to use power and bring him down. And he's got a blind spot because the way of vulnerability and humility that is demonstrated by those little hobbits going, taking the ring and throwing it into Mount Doom. It just gets under his guard, you know. That's the God of surprises that Tolkien believed in that, he, that kind of comes out in the book. That's the God of surprises at work today. The first coming humanity, the second coming a move of the Spirit. And right now, God using people like us to do surprising things in weakness and vulnerability very often. Displaying mercy, displaying generosity, taking the gospel where it's hard, in our city, in our nation, in our world. So that's what this is all about. This is what the season's all about, isn't it? So I'm going to pray and then hand back to Hazel, help us move into a deeper place of worship as we think about that second coming of Jesus.
The prayer of the church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. The longing of our heart as we experience a world that's in pain, but a saviour who is, went through pain that we might be redeemed. A saviour who wants to come and lead us to the very throne of God, to wipe the tears from our eyes. Lord, we, we long for you today as your people, as the people of God. We long for you. Lord God, forgive us for our spiritual apathy and our spiritual blindness sometimes. We long for you, Lord Jesus. We long for you, Son of God, who, 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 who actually came to take away our sin and to cleanse us and to restore us and to help us be the people you've called us to be. Son of God, we love you. Holy Spirit, help us to see Jesus today. Help us in the... This, this season of Christmas, to be willing as well to share the good news that God is for us. And if God is for us, who could be against us? With the people around us today. With the people we invite to our gatherings. The people who, who we encounter in our place of work. Lord Jesus, you are the reason for the season. And one day you're going to come again and we'll see you. We praise your name. Amen.